0: You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to The Good GP. My name's Tim Coe and today I'm interviewing Dr. Laurie Dembo again. Welcome back, Laurie. Thank you, Tim. It's good to be here. We're talking about investigating cardiology tests in athletes and your main qualification, Laurie, is that you're a cardiologist and you run faster than me.
1: <laughs> uh, there was a time, Tim. Um, I'm a, a would-be try-hard. It would be the best way to say that. You know, they say we can now, mostly I'm a weekend warrior. Now most of them are weekend sore backer. But um, but I do I do love sport and um, have had a, a long-term interest in both doing sport, but also in the long-term benefits of sport and maybe some of the detriments of sport.
0: So look, we're talking about a few things that relate to sport, exercise, and athletes. The first one is a bit of a tricky one. It's around sudden cardiac death in athletes. Yeah. We hear about this. It scares a lot of our patients. You know, every year at a major event, you'll hear about a spontaneous death. What causes sudden cardiac death in athletes? I imagine it's lots of different things.
1: It just goes against the grain of the story that we live in, don't we? Where you're young, you're sporty. They're the people that are supposed to thrive, and those deaths be it in the young or currently you know when the odd famous sports person dies young really stick in the minds of people and i guess what we don't see and right from the outset i want to make this point all the people that do play sport that do do exercise that do move and do have healthy lifestyles and do very well i don't want to give the impression that sudden cardiac death is something that means you shouldn't exercise And i think sometimes that comes out a little bit in the media stories When you look at the young people who die suddenly, the commonest cause are cardiac morphological abnormalities that you didn't know about before. By far, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is very common. Anomalous coronary arteries are another one. And then there's kind of the channelopathies, long QT syndrome, and on to some rarer causes. But say, the majority are, and coronary artery disease, once you get to the, you know, the 20s and 30s, becomes a bit more common. A single soft plaque in the LAD that ruptures and you die. But by far the most
0: common of those is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. So we're talking about structural problems of the heart. So, and that begs my second question, which is, well, can you screen for these problems? Because <laughs> this is the question that our patients yeah. ask for it. Yeah. You know? So one of the common scenarios I'll get is the patient who comes in and says, oh, I'm running the city to surf, my wife asked me to get a checkup before. Yeah, it's such
1: a common question, is it? So the answer is, it's a really simple answer absolutely no idea. (laughs) Um, It depends on where you are in the world. (laughs) So if you're European, the European guidelines say every single person should have an ECG. It's mandated in Italy. Now maybe that's because there's a higher incidence of arrhythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia or cardiomyopathy as it's called now. Maybe there's more stuff that they find. So they do ECGs on everyone. The American guidelines say you don't do an ECG on everyone. We certainly know there's some patterns of abnormality in athletes that are within that are normal and athletes that are not normal and not athletes so why wouldn't you do an ecg right i mean it's a low stress test you put the dots on excuse me you do the test and you've got the answer the problem is the sensitivity and specificity and that is that the sensitivity is high but the specificity is very low what does that mean it means that for every 100 abnormal ecgs you find in a group of young children say 10 to 20 year olds about 99 of those won't be an abnormality. They won't be a problem. And so for the one that you find, what do you do with the other 99? Do you stop people doing sports, something that's actually healthy? Do you investigate them further at cost and effort and stress and still not really know an answer? And so the American system, and therefore the Australian system, has always said that we do not screen. Mm. I'm not sure where I stand on it. My children would have an ECG because for me, I'm not looking for a subtle abnormality. I'm looking for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy Now here's the trick. The problem with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is that it's phenotypically changing over time. So you might have normal looking myocardium when you're 10, but not when you're 20. So how often do you repeat it? Do you do it in everyone or only in people that have got a family history? It becomes a really personal question. I think it's much more important. Do you screen or not? Because there's no data. The flip side becomes much more important, which is how do you stop young people dying at sporting events? And so there's a lot of data about that. The way you stop people is to have defibrillators at every sporting event and people who use it, defibrillators at every school. There's plenty of data that shows that that show defibrillators in airports and defibrillators at casinos and in public places save lives. Mm. So how do you do that? How do you get a system? What happens if you put them out of school? Who does the training? Who does the Because having the device is no good. You've got to know how to use it. What happens when the battery runs out? How how do you service them? It's all these other things around looking after people, but how do you screen? I don't know. Maybe in the future when the stethoscope becomes a handheld echo and then those machines now are ten thousand dollars, right? You know, you're connected to your Android phone and you've got an ultrasound machine that is as good as machines of five years ago. Maybe when medical schools, you won't have a stethoscope. It'll be pretty easy with a little bit of training to put a probe on and go, that's normal or I'm not sure. At an ECG as part of a routine something, maybe that's the answer, Tim. There is just no data. We don't know because you don't want to do more harm.
0: Thanks for not answering that question, Laurie. It's <laughs> a pleasure. What else would you like me not to answer? So, so just, to, just to clarify, <laughs> can you? Uh, elite and non-elite doesn't make any difference. Don't Just don't know whether it's worthwhile screening or not. There may be a difference. And the reason is that
1: when you, re- and I don't know what, depending on what you class elite. So once you become professional, they all get screened. Mm-hmm. They get screened with ECGs. They get screened with echo and MRI sometimes. That opens a whole new can of worms. Because what happens if you've got a big, thick heart and you're a professional cyclist? Is that a pathology or is that the thing that makes you good? Mm-hmm. We do not know enough about what happens in an era where elite athletes now, and, and by elite, I mean professionals, but also if you look at Ironman, for example, that common age group is in Ironman, People who have a full-time job are training 25 to 30 hours a week, a second full-time job on top of that. We've never had a time in human history where people have trained like that. So let me tell you some data about exercise though, right? Because whilst we've been talking about screening, what's the benefit of doing that? What we know is that if you do no exercise, that's unhealthy. Yeah. We know that doing a moderate amount of exercise, and by that I mean 45 minutes to an hour of relatively fast walking a day, sounds like nothing but it's very hard to do, you should try it, every day even if you're tired, that's got good benefit. Everything after that, when you just run the last 100 metres as hard as you can or you do that extra three hours on the bike or whatever, that's for ego. It does not make you healthier. It might make you fitter. It might make you a little bit quicker, but it's not for health. Mm -hmm. Do we screen them? See, once again, I didn't answer the question.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Thank you. You're becoming quite good at that, Laurie, actually. Mm -hmm. I mean, the elites are definitely going to get some kind of screening Mm -hmm. and – maybe consider screening for the elites because they're they're pushing themselves much harder and they're getting structural changes in their heart Mm -hmm. so for these because we we would see a lot of these sort of uh, weekend warriors doing beyond endurance i mean i would call marathon distance endurance so you know three hours is endurance Um, so people going beyond three hours is it worth screening those people who are just hammering their heart
1: no data but i will tell you my take on that which is yeah Mm. Um, because if if the ECG is normal, then you're done, right? If it's not, I think you can have a serious talk about it because it might be that what we know about, so take the marathon group, or in fact, anyone who drops dead running, right? For the people that drop at the end of the event, those people are tired. For the people that drop in the middle of the event, that's a more significant problem. The majority of deaths in running events in particular, or in sporting events, are in the last few minutes, or in the last kilometer. Why is that? Because you speed up. So I think if the ECG is not entirely normal, or if you're not entirely sure, the message is not, do nothing. The message is, you know what? Pretend that you were 30 seconds quicker, and run thirty seconds slower in the last couple of kilometers. It's the bit at the end where you do it for ego that seems to cause the most damage. Now some people drop at the start. There's a whole bunch of conditions, as I said. We're not going to be ever able to completely diminish those things. We might be able to have defibrillators every kilometer or every five hundred meters. Sounds a bit more, but you know, at two thousand dollars a pop, well, there's a lot of people running the city to surf. You'd easily pay for it. But who's staffing that? Where are the people? That might make a difference. But I think that if for me, yes, I would. I'm going to answer a question. Yeah, I would do ECGs. If you're a 40 year old marathon runner, and you do an ECG and it's normal, you're done. If it's a little bit abnormal, you can talk about what that means and then the person can decide whether they want to take that further or not because there's a whole bunch of nuance
0: around that. So we're talking resting ECG,
1: don't bother doing, go, go into that area of stress testing. I, I wouldn't do, I, don't, I think a stress test is useless. I think the stress test, in particular the treadmill stress test in an athlete, you know, that's what they're doing every day. Yeah. You don't gain anything from that unless they're so strongly positive, in which case they'll tell you anyway the resting ecg so anyone who talks about screening really talks about the resting ecg if that's abnormal and abnormal in a pattern that's not an athlete pattern so bradycardia is common in athletes you know first or even sometimes secondary relatively common a bit of right bundle Relatively common. You know, hey, you've got a left bundle branch block? Not so common. Mm. There are strict criteria about what's common or not. Winky back, that's fine. That involves a little bit of knowledge. But once the ECG is a little abnormal, maybe that's the time that you can start following that up. Just remember that 99 out of 100 of those abnormal ECGs, the patient or the person having their test is fine. Mm. And we don't want to stop them doing sport.
0: Thanks, Laurie. So let's not talk about the negatives of exercise now. Let's talk about the positives. Yep. So a few simple questions. I'm sure you won't be able to answer these two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a
1: wonder that you even asked me to talk to you. <laughs> you might talk to the wall.
0: <laughs> uh, what's the benefit of exercise as far as you see it as a cardiologist? Mm. And then, if we're going to recommend it, what time? You know, what intensity? What are the recommendations that you would give? Yeah,
1: so gee, that's that's a lot of information to answer in a simple question. What we know is that exercise makes you feel better and live longer. And that's at moderate intensity. You do not need to put on a bandana and do one-arm push-ups after you've just run a half marathon in your fastest time. That's not exercise. That's pushing yourself to a point that's ego-driven to find what you're the best at. But there's an absolute J curve. So the guidelines for exercise are 45 minutes to an hour of moderate intensity. Now that is walking pretty quickly. There's something nice about walking slowly and smelling the flowers That's cool, but walking pretty quickly. You can still hold hands with your loved one at the same time. There's some other benefits of doing that, but it's not having to wear gym clothes and going for a fast run. It's not having to cycle for hours and hours. It's not having to swim three kilometers in the morning. It's getting up and doing something every day. It's cumulative, and it used to be that you had to do 45 minutes or to an hour in one go. Now we're quite happy to do three lots of 20 minutes. The trick is to do it all the time, and it sounds easy, but it's pretty rapid that people decide. Oh, I'm tired after dinner, I'll watch TV tonight, or oh, it's too hard to get up. The benefits are massive, and, and they come from really stock standard physiology. It's all about what happens at the level of the endothelium. This is for cardiovascular health. So the blood vessel inner lining is a very metabolically active mess of cells called the endothelium. And the things that make the endothelium unhealthy are the things that cause more coronary artery disease and peripheral vascular disease. So what makes endothelium not work as well as it should? Well. Smoking, high lipids, high cholesterol, diabetes. Sound familiar? All the risk factors actually accelerate endothelial dysfunction. What is it that makes endothelium function better? When the blood vessels go dum 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 and they expand and contract, they release nitric oxide and a whole bunch of other substances, and that's the benefit of exercise. The exercise isn't magic. It doesn't click your fingers and make you better it makes your endothelium more healthy. And when your endothelium's more healthy, you live longer, you live better.
0: So 45 minutes every day, seven days well, a week? The
1: guidelines say five times per week, and that is, they're specifically written because they think if you make it too hard, people won't do it. Yeah, You can make it up a little bit with kind of, um, you know, that thing where you park in the furthest bit of the car park and you walk quickly into work instead of close by, if you walk instead of taking the elevator, if you don't take the escalators, you can do that a little bit, but really, yeah, 30 minutes to 45 minutes, probably an hour, 45 minutes to an hour better, five days a
0: week, yeah. A lot of my patients ask around strength versus cardio. So some people like going to the gym and pumping out weights versus just I just go walking around the park for the dog. Does strength have the same benefit o- on your heart, that is? So when we look at this specifically
1: for cardiovascular rehabilitation, what you're trying to do is make blood vessels healthy. Let's get back again, right? So aerobic exercise does that, but strength exercise gives you more muscle, gives you more ability to not get injured, and also gives you more blood vessels. So we absolutely believe in a combination of the two. Whilst the guidelines say, just get up and do something, in in our cardiovascular rehab, we use a mixture of both. And and most of that is not, I did three bench presses at the the maximum weight. Most of it is, we like you doing slightly sort of above moderate intensity intervals. So if it's walking on a treadmill, we'd rather you do two minutes just a bit harder than normal, then rest for 30 seconds to a minute. The downside of that method is it becomes exercise. Mm. And I don't want people to exercise. I want them to go for a walk with people they like. After dinner, instead of doing the dishes, before that, take the kids, go for a walk, have a chat, get out and do something. Then it becomes part of your life. I'm not going to do exercise in the same way that I'm not gonna breathe today. When it's part of your life, it's just another thing that we do. And because of the way that our society is structured, we don't walk to work. We don't walk to the shops. And so anything that we can do that's part of our life, people do again. As soon as you exercise, as soon as you put on your gym stuff, don't get me wrong, you know, I like to go to the gym and I love to go for a run, but that's not the standard. The thing that will make you healthy is just do it every day. Mm-hmm. However it is that you can get your patients and you to do it, that's what you got to use. And every Horses for courses.
0: Yep, so strength, cardio, probably doesn't matter that much. It doesn't matter that much. If, if you that, go to
1: the gym and you do lots of 15 and you do them a bit quicker, you're getting cardio as well. Yep. If you do lots of one, well, you're getting more strong. If you walk there, it's even better, whatever it is.
0: Yeah. So that lady, she walks with weights. That's how she's <laughs> covering all bases. Well, if
1: that if that works for her, that works for her. Some people, you know, when you start, a lot of people walk with weights because that's their extra Kilograms, right Now, I do want to point out on that point that exercise on its own is not a very good calorie burner. If you want to do exercise to lose weight, you're doing the wrong thing. Exercise makes you healthier on the whole. There's other ways to lose weight, and that's maybe a different podcast. Exercise is about health. That's what we're about in medicine. What you look like is your concern.
0: Now, this is a tricky area that I find which relates to exercise in the heart. I often get patients with existing CAD and they ask about exercise. They really ask, well, how hard can I push myself? You know, a lot of people really change their lives and they'll get into quite vigorous aerobic exercise. Mm -hmm. At what point are they risking themselves and what level of exercise, if people are keen, can you recommend for someone with, say, existing CAD who are managing conservatively or or medically, as we might say? So
1: there's a bunch of data about this. This is one I can answer. It's the same. So. What we tell our patients is that if you wanna take one pill, if you've got a choice between aspirin and your statin and your exercise tablet, take the exercise tablet. That's the one that gives you the best bang for your buck. That's the one that decreases your mortality the most. We know it's important. How important is it and what do you have to do? Well, going for a slow walk, picking up flowers does not improve cardiovascular mortality. Going for a run where you're sprinting for five kilometers does not improve cardiovascular mortality, we don't think. The biggest bang for your buck is just like someone who does not have coronary disease. It's moderate intensity, so that's kind of the level when you're talking. You can kind of get out a sentence like I'm doing now, but if someone said, could you sing a really long Queen song, you'd probably say, oh, maybe why don't we wait till we finish, you know? And anyway, it's too hard. There's too many voices. <laughs> um, that's the level. But so you've got to do it.
0: So that's a great point. Exercise to the point you can still talk and have a conversation and be about the guideline. Yeah. It's just about doing it, yeah. This is a bit of a bizarre question, but, you know, a lot of people will find they get chest pain. This is non, non-CAD people. They'll get chest pain when they actually exercise. So they might be fit, or even fit people get chest discomfort when they exercise. Mm. So let's say they're pathologically normal but is that that pain coming from myocardial ischemia or is it coming from just pushing yourself to the limit or depends on who you see and when you see them right because so if someone comes to me with that the
1: problem is the cardiologist I'm the last resort I'm not allowed to ever get that wrong mm. so we test them yeah now. For me, that's with coronary CT because they're a very low likelihood of having um, a symptom, but they're a symptomatic intermediate risk person. So the guidelines are clear about that, that you can test that group. Mm. Um, I do not do exercise stress tests on a treadmill on their own. Their sensitivity and specificity are too low. The tests are either a functional test, which is stress echo or a myocardial perfusion scan, nuclear, or CTCA. I do CTCA because it shows you all the other things. Your coronaries are normal on that you can go pretty safely. Mm. What What is chest pain or what shortness of breath? It's all in your head, right? Yeah. We know that people are short of when you're short of breath and you're running, your oxygen saturations don't change. Everything looks the same, but you feel short of breath. Your brain tries to protect you. And so, what we say, I would say to someone is if you're short of breath or if you're getting chest discomfort and we've shown that your coronaries are functioning okay and you don't have asthma, then really back off a little bit and slowly build up your fitness. Yeah. We know that All those chronic diseases do better with physical exertion. The worst thing you can do is do nothing because you're worried. We like to say to our patients, you know, and it's it's a bit trite, but if you're in bed, you're dead. Get up, get moving. There's not one disease that we know that doesn't do better with movement and and moderate amounts of aerobic and
0: resistance training. So get out there and exercise and uh, enjoy what you do as you do it. I think that's the key to him. It doesn't matter, which it is, you
1: know, if you're doing running for a bit or you decide you're going to go rowing or maybe swimming's your thing or water walking, whatever it is. If it's when your kids are playing sport and you want to go for a walk with your friends around while you're watching them, it's finding something that gets you enthusiastic. And you know, I was just watching the tennis Nadal's played tennis for 30 years. I don't know how he does it every day. That's what makes him him. I've not run for 30 years. I run for a bit, then I decide I like riding for a bit. Maybe it's swimming, maybe it's rowing, maybe it's going to the gym. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't need fancy shoes. What it needs is to find the thing that you like and then get on with it.
0: Well, that's the end of the episode. Thanks, Laurie, for your time. (laughs)